Did you ever have one of those Bluetooth headset things? No, absolutely not. And in <laughs> fact, like, you know, I definitely have been, you know, the kind of person that buys gadgets and things like that. And these things have always turned me off. Absolutely. Hate them. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way, too. And I, I associate it with like a, a type. And I, I keep wondering, like, did Vince Gilligan have a run in with someone that was wearing one of these these things that just rubbed him the wrong way? Because uh, the way that they introduce us to the infamous Ken Wins with the, the Bluetooth in this episode. And then later, when we first meet uh, Saul Goodman, we also see him wearing that same uh, that same headpiece. Yeah, it's it's earpiece. It's... It's definitely it definitely brings to mind a lot. Like the way that they introduce, you know, the shot of it in this episode really stands out. The way that, you know, just seeing that, you kind of know what kind of guy this is. And then they use that as a, you know, a shorthand to get us up to speed on what kind of a guy Saul is later when they uh introduce him in in season 2. So, I think you're right. I think there's definitely Vince has some sort of history with this device <laughs> and um i have to say that i agree with them because i think they are obnoxious yeah it certainly is uh synonymous with a, a certain type of self-important windbag right like real pompous and <laughs> narcissistic type um but i think it's interesting sort of the the evolution of technology which is something we've been talking about as we've talked about this show right and like now i have my my earbuds that i use to listen to music that i use to um you know, to talk when I'm like, you know, out and about and stuff like that. And I don't have that same association with the the newer versions of it anymore. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just because they're so ubiquitous where back then it was just, you know, really rich, like financial advisors or lawyers, uh, other, you know, those types of people that, that had them. <laughs> yeah. And I think they do. Like I said, I think what you said there is, is, is very on point that it's a kind of person who, it's okay with just having everyone in the near, in the vicinity have to listen to what they're saying on the phone. You know, it, it's it's not just that. I mean, I get that it's a convenient way to to use your phone when you're busy, but there's the other part of it, the other side of it, where everyone that's near you hears what you're saying, and it and it's just like I said, I don't know what other word to use besides obnoxious. Right. And like they, they always would speak at such an elevated like volume level, too. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, that 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 sort of uh, I've already said like self-importance, but it's a uh, noise pollution. Right. So um, I went out of town recently and I was at the airport. I was at my gate and there was this guy laying on the floor. Right. So he had his like he was stretched out like everyone's crammed together in those like little seats at the gate. And he's lying on the floor and he's talking on his on his phone. So he's not using the the earpiece but it made me think of the same thing right i was reminded of this guy as um as i was watching this episode and he's talking on his phone and he's like facetiming or whatever it is so not only did i have to hear him i had to hear the guy he was talking to as well and <laughs> i i must have been staring at him the same way that walt was glaring at the back of ken's head in the in the credit union in this episode but i don't know it's just it's funny indeed yeah, so I have a couple of little factoids about Bluetooth. Do you know where it gets its name from? Nope, I have no idea. I didn't know this either, but maybe other people knew this, but it comes from the 10th century Danish king named Harold Bluetooth, who purportedly had a passion for tooth-staining blueberries, and that's where he got the nickname from. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's true or not. I know I read another thing that said he had like a dead tooth, and that's why it was called 
Bluetooth, but he is uh, most notable for uniting uh, Denmark and Norway. And when the industry leaders from Intel, uh, Ericsson and Nokia um, got together in 1996 to make a like a standardized plan for this uh this new technology this short range radio technology um the idea was that they were uniting uh in in somewhat the same way that he i guess oh yeah i was wondering where the connection was coming because that just seemed completely random (laughs) yeah so uh this guy jim kardak i don't know if i said that right from intel suggested uh bluetooth as a temporary code name um, and he's been quoted as saying, King Harold Bluetooth was famous for uniting Scandinavia, just as we intend to unite the PC and cellular industries with a short range wireless link. Fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's, <laughs> it's that fascinating, but those early ones, like you only really saw it from a couple of different models. And um, there was a lot of apparently there was a lot of interest in what kind of earpiece uh uh, Saul war both in Breaking Bad and in Better Call Saul, and we were able to finally figure it out during the final season of Better Call Saul, where we got that shot of it up close, and his was a Motorola uh, yeah. H500 headset. Yeah, there was a little episode teaser with it sitting there, huh? Mm-hmm. players in town now we don't know who they are where they come from but they possess an extremely high skill set me personally thinking albuquerque just might have a new kingpin this is growth decay transformation a breaking bad rewatch podcast i'm courtney and i'm pete and we're joined by our producer talitha barco so, Pete, can you give us a recap of Season 1, Episode 4, Cancer Man? Yeah, and Cancer Man, is that an X-Files connection? You're more it of an X-Files is. rememberer than I am. <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah. So, for those who don't know or maybe didn't make the connection, in the X-Files, the the main villain of that series is uh, played by um, William B. Davis, and yeah. his name, like on the credits, is as Smoking Man. Yeah, that's but, what I uh, always remembered him as, was Smoking Man. That's why I didn't know if it was a direct reference or if it was something that they, you know, they just sort of were like uh, throwing it out there so that we can make the connection. But they, you, you said that they do actually refer to him as Cancer Man, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's credited as the cigarette smoking man, but actually within the show, Mulder, the main character, and Scully uh, come up with this pejorative, I guess, for him. They call him Cancer Man, right? And because he is like like Walt, the cancer of the show, right? He is their yeah. arch nemesis. And, you know, I was thinking about this and, and also in a, in a lot of ways, like Walt, his his intentions are often like ambiguous. And there's been even like a lot of debate about just how bad he he really is. So I know Maybe that the cancer um, man is actually right. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he thinks so. The actor himself has said so. So um, Chris Carter, the creator of The X-Files, once called him the devil, and that created a lot of controversy among fans and Mm. including um, William B. Davis himself, because many of them see him as a hero who's forced to make choices that others are unwilling to make. Like he's doing the tough, hard things um, that that, uh, nobody else wants or can do. So, I mean, he's part, for those of you that don't know, he's part of this uh, shadow uh, organization that's comprised of all these government higher-ups and they're um, working together to 
you know, keep the existence of aliens secret and whatever it is that they're they're trying to do. Um, but he does some really despicable, horrible things throughout the series. But he is, again, like Walt, a, an interesting character in so far that there is a lot of debate over, like, whether um, was is he a hero? Is he a villain? You know, so... Uh, that's up for for the viewers to decide. Yeah, and you are definitely much more of an X Files rememberer than I am. I watched it. I I really enjoyed it, but I don't remember any of that stuff <laughs> to that kind of detail. <laughs> so, getting back to our Cancer Man, Walter White, um, season one, episode four. The episode opens with Hank at work. He's giving a DEA briefing about the meth they recovered in Crazy Eight's car. You know, it's 99.1% pure. And he shares his belief that Albuquerque has a new kingpin. At a barbecue at the White House, Skyler breaks down in tears, forcing Walt to tell Hank about his cancer. Marie and Walter Jr. are there. And this is kind of a big deal because nobody knew except for him. And then, you know, she knew. So now his whole family knows what's going on. And Marie volunteers to use her connections to help them to put together a dream team of doctors. And Walt agrees, maybe begrudgingly agrees at that point. And she does come through. But they find out that the oncologist is outside of their HMO and they're going to have to come up with $5,000 just for the consultation like the first time they meet him. This episode also introduces us to Jesse's friends Combo and Skinny Pete. And it's kind of funny because in the script they were referred to as a skinny stoner and a chubby stoner. And obviously they made an impression and they went on to become characters with names and and they'll do a lot more in the rest of the series um but after he's hanging out with them he he has a little he has a moment there where he doesn't want to smoke and because he's feeling paranoid but he gives in and after that he sort of has some hallucinations there and his paranoia drives him to go outside of the house and he ends up at his childhood home where we find out that he has a younger brother named Jake and that his parents care about him, but they have a lot of history with having to deal with him whenever stuff like this happens. They're, they're mixed on how they feel about him showing up at their house. When Walt goes to the credit union to exchange his drug money to get a cashier's check to pay for the oncologist, there's a loud, obnoxious financial advisor driving a BMW with the vanity plate Ken Wins, and he steals a parking spot that Walt was waiting for. Total violation. He was waiting. You could see him, and he stole it. And I, I, I just want to throw in there before I finish this off that I really like the, the vanity plate Ken Wins. Um, I wonder how long they actually workshopped that in the writer's room because that is... Just a real winner right there. <laughs> and so Skylar and, and Walt, they meet the doctor. They discuss treatment options. And then back at home, when Skylar wants to schedule the first appointment, Walt isn't, he's not okay with the idea that he's going to leave her with debt if something would happen. And upset by his father's reluctance, Walter Jr., has a big moment and he tells Walt that he should just go ahead and die. And at the end of the episode, while driving, Walt has a coughing fit that forces him to pull over near a gas station where he spots that same yuppie jerk from the credit union 
and uh, stuff happens after that. Ken loses. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what were your overall impressions of this fourth episode? Well, apart from that very explosive ending, this is, I think, a, a somewhat quieter episode. I would characterize it primarily as a character study and an examination of how each of the characters apply themselves and relate to those around them. I, I would say that what stood out to me most was the role of family and how those familial dynamics and relationships shape both Jesse and Walt, and how in both cases they're perceived as needing help and they're treated by their families almost as though they're like inept children. And while their situations are different, you know, Walt has cancer, Jesse has maybe a drug problem, there are a lot of parallels between them that I think this this episode really highlights. So you could say that Jesse and Walt are two sides of the same coin. They appear to be opposites, but there are a lot of similarities between them. And I think this episode further highlights that that both characters have something to prove to the world and to themselves. And then, of course, that big moment at the end. I just, uh, I love so much. It does leave an impression. <laughs> what about yeah. you? What did you think? Well, yeah, I agree that it is quieter. But I also think it's a great episode to discuss in this format, like rewatching, because it, it a lot of this stuff hits differently in hindsight. That that and last scene you're talking about um, is a great example. I mean, that that's just such a cool scene. It's the first instance where we see someone walking away from an explosion um, without reacting, you know, like the cool, the, that cool, like, uh, wow, I'm so cool. I can't even be bothered to be scared by the explosion thing that we'll see so many times, you know, with the cousins uh, when they blow up the truck and even in Better Call Saul, whenever Gus blows up Los Poyos. Um, it, it's fantastic, but when you see it the first time, you don't know who, who Walt is or what, who he's going to become. So it, it's a lot different. You're just sort of like, yeah, that guy deserved it. You know, I'm, I'm happy to see it now. You know, it's uh, it, it has a totally different meaning. And the first time I watched it, I didn't recognize that they were essentially doing the same thing with both characters, you, you know, splitting them up so that you could see how they, they go through to highlight the differences in their character it's a bit of a reset because they got out of the situation with crazy eight and Emilio that was dominating the last couple of episodes. So it's a great way to set up the dynamic of how they'll use them to complement each other throughout the rest of the series. Two smaller things that really jumped out on the rewatch were the look on Walt's face when Hank promises to take care of his family. If something were to happen, this is a, a great uh, little bit of facial acting by Brian Cranston there. And also, this is a really interesting Skylar episode. Uh, we see Anna Gunn do some, some, some great stuff in this episode, too, which you kind of overlook at the time. Um, in the same way that they use Jesse's decision not to rat out Jake as like a contrast to the decisions that Walt makes, they use her to, to do the same thing at home. Um, so... I thought that was really good. You know, she she has this sort of normal human being reaction to the idea of treatment and, you know, like, don't die. Let's do everything we can so that you don't die, even if it means that we have to borrow some money. Um, and and that 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 really it, you don't really catch it at the time. But you, you see later how how strange of a of a man that Walter White is. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of little great little character seeds that are planted here 
and you know they they don't jump out at you but of course they'll all bear you know bear their fruit down the road and um in that way i think it, it's a pretty impressive episode don't forget your pants we'll be right back after this short break We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. The first two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Fire up the RV. We're back with more growth, decay, and transformation. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And and you touched on a lot of points that I, I want to delve into deeper as uh, as we get into this conversation more. But um, something that we both said, I guess, that, that stood out to us in our impressions of this episode is the parallels between Walt and Jesse. So I, I want to to look at those first and look at some of those those parallels. So one thing that that occurred to me as I was watching this episode was 
um, as I already mentioned, of course, is that you see this this sort of familial dynamic between Walt and his family, and then you see it with Jesse and, and his family as well, and this idea of going home, right? And I'm re- reminded of a really great line, and I think I mentioned it in our previous podcast when we were talking about episode three, um, in an exchange between Crazy Eight and Walt when he's about to let him go, and he says, whatever, man, I just want to go home, and Walt says, me too. And we remarked in the podcast that that's not really possible uh, for them to actually go back to where they came from. But I think we see both Walt and Jesse trying to do that. They're trying to return to some sort of sense of normalcy, right? So for Walt, he wants things to go back to normal before the whole fiasco and the whole mess of what happened with Emilio and Crazy Eight. And and, uh, I think we get to see how... And in a way, before he had cancer too, right? Exactly, because but now like he's kind of that's still new news in in his life. You know, it's, it's kind of yeah. funny when you think about it that he's coming off a murder, not a murder, maybe you know he killed for, you, you whatever. But you know, like he's still that he's still only two weeks into or a month into a cancer diagnosis, which is a literal death sentence. So I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I I just well, you know, I that popped in my head when you were talking. I don't know that I would agree that maybe he wants to return back to before the the cancer diagnosis. He seems kind of at this point to me, the way I read it, kind of resigned to that reality. And we see as he's he's kind of committed to the idea of dying. And that's uh, an idea that that will be explored both in this episode and in later episodes. But I think um, the real issue for Walt is, though, that now he has to deal with his family, right? Because he had to tell them that he had cancer. That was how he explained to Skylar why he's been behaving strangely. (laughs) But um, now he has to deal with the fallout from that, and that's something that he doesn't want to to deal with, right? And with Jesse, we see him return back home to his his family, to the safety of his childhood home, when he's feeling uh, paranoid, when he's feeling stressed. And I, so I think there's some some interesting parallels that that happen there, although different, right? So yeah. it's it's impossible for both of them to return home, but for for different reasons. And it's with Jesse, it, it's also deals with like this idea of like illness. And I, I mentioned that both families kind of treat them like they're inept in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think with, um, we see it with, with Walt in, in a, in a very particular way, like how his family all wants to make decisions for him. Right. And Skylar, even at one point says, you know, we're a family, we go through these things together and it sort of denies the individual, uh, uh, like agency right mm-hmm. not to say that this is a bad thing i'm not saying like you know family shouldn't care they don't have a say or anything like that that's not what i'm saying but but it's just like those those dynamics of like the family versus the individual or th- it's something that plays out in a really interesting way in both scenarios so mm-hmm. we have walt with his illness with cancer and then we have jesse with the perceived illness of like drug addiction right his his parents we see them talking about like what do you think he's on um, should we let him stay? And, and the and family's also, like, on- I mean, Jesse, where he lives, there's a, there's a hole in the floor from the body that they tried to disincorporate. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you know, like there, he, he he's also having trouble going back to where he actually lives because of of what's happened there too, right? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, there are like other reasons why he would want to leave that. Like house. he might not be completely, he might not be completely like owning his his addiction or his his drug use. But there there's other things going on too. I guess is what I want to point out. Well, I think in a way he does. I think in an interesting way he does. It's almost like it's a silent recognition 
of like this this uh, idea his parents have have of him as a junkie, um, and it's really I think accepting the role that's been cast on him as the the black sheep, as the outcast, whatever you want to call it. And um, there was something you you were talking about uh, with with his brother that I also wanted to to talk about because I thought it was an, again sort of an interesting parallel between Walt and Jesse in terms of like opposite reactions to things. So Jesse makes the decision to protect his little brother when the housekeeper finds the joints, right? Mm -hmm. He takes the fall for his brother and um, it's like a, like a certified family, like motive almost and, and, and ethic that he has. So he doesn't take the opportunity to, to throw him under the bus. And it's in stark contrast to how Walt is constantly blaming things on other people. Like he does not take any responsibility. So Jesse decides to take the fall. He's a loyal person. Mm -hmm. And that's something, again, like a, an, something about Jesse that I think gets returned to over and over again, this idea of loyalty, the good dog, bad dog, uh, mm -hmm. you know, thing that, that happens later. But it, furthermore, this idea that Jesse doesn't take the opportunity to, to like avenge himself when his parents, you know, confront him. He doesn't say it wasn't me. It was Jake. Um, but Walt absolutely takes the, the opportunity to avenge himself in this episode at the end when he decides to enact that revenge on Ken. So yeah. again, I think it's a really interesting look at how these two different characters respond differently to the opportunity that they have to, to avenge themselves in a way. Yeah, with hindsight, it's really straightforward. Um, you know, the, 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 this is the core of their characters. Uh, they, they both have a similar situation, like you, you just pointed out. And Jesse, he does the honorable thing in the situation. And I mean, you could argue that he, you know, he doesn't think that he's, he's worth the redemption or, or something like that, you know, but he could have, he could have used that as, as a, a thing. I mean, he doesn't want to go home. He, he, there, like there's real issues going on. That's sort of why I brought that up earlier. So he does want to stay at his family's house, but it's more important to him to um, not throw his brother under the bus. And, mm -hmm. you know, you see that come out in a totally different way <laughs> whenever Walt blows up Ken Wins's car. Yeah, definitely. So another thing I noticed in terms of like another parallel between Walt and Jesse is this desire and maybe lack of desire to want to talk about certain things, which I think, uh, again, further reveals how each of these characters deal with pressure. So when Jesse goes to the White House to talk to Walt, right, and he says um, he wants to debrief, and that's when he also gives him the money, they have this exchange, and uh, Walt's is, he's very condescending, he mocks him, like, debrief, what is there to talk about? He doesn't want to talk about, there's nothing to talk about, or Jesse very much wants to talk, and you see um, something happen later with uh, Skylar and Walt when she's asking, is it okay for me to make that a first appointment for treatment, and he's like, we need to talk about this more, and she says, what is there to talk about you're doing this right so again this idea of like wanting to talk about certain things but not wanting to talk about other things so it's i think a, again an interesting little parallel between those two characters in, in terms yeah, of how it, they're relating to others it gets to the perspective of, of the different characters and in, in the same situations you know like i said i think there's a lot of a great contrast there and also just it, it they're important it's important information for us as viewers to 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 sort of file away so that we understand how they act later right 
Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, for sure. That's one thing, and and I just uh, just wanted to backtrack a second because one of the things that that you you mentioned there was the debrief, and and that's the point in the episode when I'm rewatching that I realize, oh yeah, like they're they just they just killed someone in the last episode, you know, because it kind of goes so far away from that, and and then you realize, hey, they're they're holding all of that stuff in throughout the the entire episode. It's it's driving what they're doing. But I, I really like how they approach that here because, like I said, it's sort of a reset, and 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 it, they do it in such a way that you almost kind of, with everything else that's going on, with Walt in the beginning having to admit that he has cancer to his family, you kind of forget like where they are, you know, right right before that, because of you know what I mean, because they go on these on these two different paths that are unrelated. It is it is interesting to to be reminded or it's important to be reminded of where they are coming from and this idea of wanting to go back to normal but not being able to and seeing how they both respond to that which is um which makes me think of this other point I wanted to make about Jesse right so in the past couple episodes we see how Jesse deals with pressure he turns to the to meth right and uh he tells us uh, Skinny Pete and Combo when they ask if he's got any of that crystal that he's been laying off of it because it's been making him paranoid and he's trying to like you know do it for health reasons, and um, he caves to a little bit of the the peer pressure there. So they're like, well, whatever, we'll bounce. You know, it's cool if you don't want to share. And he's like, no, 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 I'm just joking. I'm joking. And then of course he smokes with them, and uh, we see that the effect that has on him when he imagines like you know Hell's Angels or whatever, like the biker yeah. gang coming up to to the door. Um, and again, just a, one of those other uh, parallels with, with Walt is how he, at this point, is also somewhat caving to peer pressure. So we see both characters doing things that they don't want to do that um, is against their own better judgment. And it's not as... as uh, He obviously, Walt will push back against this later on in the series when they have the whole little talking pillow <laughs> intervention yeah. um, where he finally speaks his mind. But when uh, they're sitting in the family room, this is almost like the... the um, the precursor to that uh and and maria is saying like oh i'm gonna get on the phone with my radiologist yada yada we're gonna put together this this dream team and skylar is responding like yes this sounds great this sounds great you know we need a second opinion and she's like i'm gonna call first thing in the morning and skylar says yeah and she looks to walt to see if he'll agree to that and he's he says you mentioned you used um used the word begrudgingly earlier when you were uh, doing the, the recap of this episode, and that's the perfect way to describe it. He's, he agrees to it begrudgingly. He is also caving to a type of peer pressure, um, perhaps, or familial pressure. And you can tell he really doesn't want to do it. And you mentioned, um, you know, the, the look on his face when <laughs> when Hank says to him, you know, I hope you know I'll, I'll always take care of your family. And I yeah. think that's a, another really key moment. Yeah. And they, and they, and in case you missed that, you know, they, they, they do a couple more in the same episode just so that it, it really resonates. When she mentions his mother, he kind of has that same look on his face and there's one other instance. Um, well, could it be when, um, when she's, they're talking about the money, right? So they need $5,000 just to get into the, the door, right? Just to have that initial consult with the oncologist. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, she says, she suggests, she floats the idea, we could always borrow from Hank. And he very forceful, forcefully says, absolutely yeah, that, not. That was the one I was thinking Is that about. the moment? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's really like great he, he, foreshadowing. 
Yeah, and it, it almost comes in. It, it you can almost see a buildup in it if you look at it like that too. Like the first one, okay. The second one, it, it's really starting to grate on. By the third one, absolutely not. You know what I mean? Like uh, you could see that over the course of the thing, of the episode, build up to where he's it, it. It's a it's an issue. It's not an issue we know about, but it's something that's gonna pay off later. Absolutely. And this uh, this foreshadows what happens in the next episode in Grey Matter, right? When the way that he turns down uh, Elliot Schwartz's offer, um, yeah. both for the job and then when he outright offers to pay for his treatment and he refuses. So we get to see uh, how Walt's pride is starting to to play a role in this, right? Like he's, he wants mm -hmm. to do this all by himself. And certainly by the end of the episode, we really see that this is someone that's determined to do things his own way. And uh, doesn't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's an ongoing transformation, but it, but it's always happening, huh? It is, it is. And I think the the relationship with Hank is is one that we could we could talk a little bit more about because we did talk about it in that first episode we did the first podcast, um, mm -hmm. but. We didn't touch on all of the points that we had spoken about off air, right? And we had we had some really great points about that relationship with Hank and and the family in general. I also I know you want to talk about Skylar. I also want to talk about Skylar. And I think <laughs> this this episode is so important in showing us these these family dynamics and how they all relate to each other. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought you, that, uh, I thought that there is it, it, it's a little it's not as direct, but I think that there you kind of see a little bit like Hank, you you brought up Hank, and in this in the opening scene, I think there's a little bit of a parallel with him and him starting out on his quest too. Um, he he's not yet obsessed, but you know this ninety nine one ninety nine point one percent thing comes out, and there's some new players in town. He thinks there's a new kingpin. Like this is the this is the origin of of the thing that will eventually bring him down too, right? That also stood out to me. And I think we see Hank apply himself in a way that's going to be important for the rest of, of the oh, series. Oh, I see what right? you so did there, huh? Apply yourself. <laughs> exactly. So apply yourself, of course, being a reference to the old test that uh, Jesse finds in his childhood room, his old chemistry test where he had drawn this crude cartoon of, of Walt. And then on the other side, he flips it over and he got an F on the paper and big red letters. It says ridiculous, apply yourself. Yeah, and another great moment, you know, like, I mean, he, he, the like facial acting and just character centric all the way around. I mean, he, he sees that he gets, he, you know, he feels he, he, has this great memory of making fun of Mr. White and then flips it over and, and, and is brought back to reality of like what their situation was like whenever he was his teacher. Definitely. And oh, I love that scene. I, that's one of my favorite moments in the episode is Jesse sitting cross-legged on his bedroom floor in front of his like old toy chest, pulling out his old toys. And he comes upon, upon this, uh, this old test that he, he, he uh, failed miserably on. Yeah. Um, but then something interesting happens right after that. So like you see him laughing and then the, 
the look on his face, how crestfallen he is when he turns it over and he sees that message that what Walt had written. And then immediately after that, he gets that phone call from Combo asking if he has any more meth to sell. And what does and Jesse he do? He applies apply himself. himself. Yeah, exactly. And so I was thinking of, of how um, when trying to think of a title for this uh, podcast episode, I thought apply yourself would work well because we start to see all the characters start to apply themselves the the way that they will throughout the rest of the series. So we see Jesse is starting to take a little bit more initiative and trying to prove himself. So you, the the image of him though sitting cross legged like a little kid on his floor playing with his like old old toys. I mm-hmm. mean, they really show him as a kid, as a child. Yeah. And he's this disappointment to his family. He's the black sheep. You know, he was a, a failure in high school. Now he has an opportunity to actually prove himself. And um, to go back to what you were saying about Hank, because I I did want to also mention that we get to see him discover the the meth and this um, quest to catch this new kingpin that's going to drive him, propel him for the rest of the series. So this is really where he gets to apply himself. And it's not so obvious at this point, right? But as he's coming up with the theory that that the meth was made right here in Albuquerque. No one's really pushing back yet, but as we see as the series progresses, everyone doubts Hank. You know, they all think he's, you know, obsessed with catching this mystery man and nobody takes it as seriously as as he does. So it really is the beginning of the hero's quest for him to yeah. catch um catch him. And of course, and then we see Walt apply himself at the end when he blows up Ken's car. Yeah. And back to Hank for for a quick second. Um it's funny that, like you said, that they 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 bring up Crazy Eight. That's sort of the you know the the end of that story, and I feel like they they kind of throw out that little detail there that um, you know that he was he was he was turning people in. He 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 was taking over their territory after they were arrested, and that the last person that he turned in was was his his cousin. So you know a lot of that stuff that 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 that's underneath all the stuff that we saw him in their conversation, you know, like the ways that he, he endeared himself to, to, to Walter whenever Walter was looking for a reason not to kill him. Right. And, and it, it just kind of says for sure that um, if he would have let him go, then they, that he would have killed them for sure. Right. I think so. Yeah, I think so. So I was, tr- cause the, they tried to connect this story or explain how crazy eight became an informant for the DEA. They, they explain this in better call Saul. And that's when he gets picked up when, um, that's when like, they're trying to drop the meth down the drain pipe is it's at that moment, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When he gets picked up and then they send in Saul, the cartel does, they send in Saul to be his lawyer. And like, it's like a pretend like informant sort of Mm -hmm. thing. So like, he's still working. Like, it's not like he's really, turned his back yeah. on the cartel. They know he is like a and you know, doing this with uh with the DEA. So it's I was curious though, because yeah. yeah, so I was curious, did he really turn in Emilio? I mean, did he turn him in? Or is that something that is actually ever confirmed or is that just like implied? I mean he's it's says certainly it. implied Hank in breaking bad. In this, Hank says it in this episode. Oh, does he? I missed mm-hmm. that. I would have to go back and, and watch that. Yeah. But I was I mean, it's certainly implied or explicitly stated in this episode, but the way they did it in Better Call Saul, I was I was just curious, like what happened after you know, like Wallow dies and everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it that is that is interesting because um, it's a darker. He's a much darker character when you meet him here, 
and um, you kind of think that he should be a little bit more independent because like you said that uh, Lalo dies and he was the one that was kind of giving him orders but yeah it's it's um I, I haven't really thought about connecting those dots too much since um that that episode of Bre a better call Saul happened so I, I, there's something to think about in the future for sure it is I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while <laughs> and we get skinny and skinny Pete in combo um it's nice to see those guys show up. Uh, I think whenever you think about, um, you know, I think that this is kind of a, another place where you see like how good Aaron Paul is like this. This is kind of like the first episode where we see them. And I, I think I already said this, but like, you know, where we see them operate independently and where Jesse really becomes a character, you know, uh, not, not a, a, like he has his own story that that will work in parallel with Waltz rather than him just being comic relief or or you know Waltz entry into the underworld or whatever and um yeah it's good to see like that he can he can pull off this stuff where he's high when he's hanging out with his friends when he's trying to be cool when he has those vulnerable moments like you were talking about whenever he's he's there seeing you know looking through his stuff in his in his childhood room and he you know like you don't i didn't anyways the first time i watched the series i didn't i didn't realize how much good stuff he was doing because really i would just think of him as you know the the funny stuff he did stood out more than anything yeah and i i think this episode maybe more than any up to this point really sets Jesse up as um, like the main supporting character of the series. We get to spend so much time with Jesse in this episode and get to know him and see him in um, a context outside of his relationship to Walt, I think is, is something worth noting because uh, something we've been talking about on this podcast, right, is how we only really get to see the other characters through Walt's point of view. And we get to see this, yeah. this exception here with, with Jesse. Um, I mean, we get, of course, we get to see other characters somewhat behind this, like, you know, little, little glimpses into their lives. So like Hank, you know, at his DEA briefing, and then we get to see Skylar sometimes, you know, hanging out with her sister Marie and talking. But usually those are all things that relate to Walt, right? So of course, we, we're following the cat and mouse game that's going to start happening with Walt and Hank. So knowing what Hank is up to at this point. And um, but like the way that that Skylar, whenever she's whatever scenes she has, it's always just like with her and her sister. And they're usually talking about Walt or their families. Yeah. So really getting to see Jesse as a as a character in his own right is um is significant, right? And it's not again, it's nothing really significant happens in this episode on the surface, but when you really dive into it and start reading doing this sort of character analysis and and examining like where are they right now? Like where are they coming from after the the disaster of the previous episode and mm -hmm. uh, where they're going. Um you said Pete earlier that this plants a lot of little seeds and I think that's that's um an astute observation. I think it it really does. We get to see like where these characters are and that primes us to to better understand where they end up. And you mentioned that, you know, the, what happened before. And one of those really nice touches here is how you can see the Tampico branding on the, the crib whenever he's in, in the room with, um, you know, taking the money out of the, the vent and, and Walter Jr. comes in. You can see the Tampico furniture, which is connected to Crazy Eight's father's store there. 
Um, something I don't think that I would have picked up on the first time I watched it, but something that that people definitely noticed and and you get and you appreciate that, you know, you, you appreciate those little details. Yeah, and w- and while we're talking about like where the characters are, like like how they're thinking, how they're feeling at this particular time, I think that they decided to show him put the money in in that space in that room. Um, of course, allowed them to show that little Tampico sticker, but the way that they they cut that scene, I think, is really interesting, right? So in the conversation he has with Junior, Junior says, "What the hell is wrong with you? Why are you acting so weird?" And then you know, a couple seconds later, we get to see the sticker. So it's just like they're subtly letting the viewer know. If you're paying attention, like those eagle eyed viewers, like this is why he's acting weird, right? Like, don't forget that he just, you know, killed this, this man. Yeah. Totally understandable reaction there, teenager. But your dad just killed somebody like really recently. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, pretty good. It's a pretty good Walt Jr. episode too. I mean, he, he definitely brings some heat with his, his, uh, his line later. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And again, this is another one of those like little parallels I noticed between Walt and Jesse um, and the way their families treat them and kind of hover over them. We see we see that happen with uh, Junior when he's when Walt at the end of the school day is going into his classroom, maybe to you know pack up, finish grading, whatever he's doing at the end of the day. And he sees Junior sitting at one of the tables uh, looking at a microscope and he's surprised to see him like, oh, you're not taking the bus. And in the way like Junior looks at him, it's a silent scene. Junior doesn't actually say anything, but no. you get the sense that like his Junior is it's almost like an inverse in, in the the roles there um, in terms of like father son, like the junior is acting more concerned about his dad at this point, like the way that like, you know, a parent might be concerned about their child. Like, why are you behaving strangely? This is something serious. You know, this is something that that we need to to consider um, is the, very much the impression I got. And this idea of like this sort of, again, this intrusion, um, not that it's unwarranted or anything like that. I don't want that to carry a negative connotation but you see that also with jesse when he's with his little brother and the mother busts in the room right and she's again this sort of like intrusion um so you get this sense of like how like the family is is intruding on these characters two quick things about about jesse's family uh one i think they're they they come off more sympathetic here huh the and when you first meet them like they feel kind of cruel and and heartless. At least that's the way I remember it right now. Not not having rewatched the series recently, but just sort of kind of you know cutting him off. Here here you get a, a pretty good idea of why that is. Pretty natural. Uh, a pretty natural response for parents who are, are struggling with with this sort of thing, uh, not knowing what what to do with it. And the other thing was is that it. I think I think this is the first time. Uh, that we see one of my favorite things, which is the time lapse uh, shot. Yeah, of the house. house. Which yeah, which is which is fantastic. Those always grab my attention whenever they use one of those. Yeah, it's I, very I guess effective. here they're showing how how long he passes out after mm-hmm. he comes down from his from his high. But yeah, that's one of my one of my favorite little Breaking Bad visual tricks that they do that um, we'll see throughout the series. Well, it's it's interesting you bring up the parents and like at least how uh, the sort of general consensus of, of viewers of fans to them. And of course, it's um, 
the moment like when he buys the house you know later on he has Saul yeah. you know seal the deal that's a that's a really great moment for Jesse and I think his parents um are those kinds of characters that people kind of just absolutely despise and hate and yeah. um Skylar is another well, they, one of they, those they are difficult from this point on but they, they, this is here that I, I I just don't think you really remember this as much whenever you think about them later right yeah, and and to your point though, like when you really think about this objectively, like they 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 have every reason to be concerned of their son, right? So to have mm-hmm. this this word for him in this case, you know, they're accusing him of something or they believe he did something that he didn't do. It wasn't his joint that they found, but he did come to their house after being high on meth and, you know, being partaking in murder or at least uh, being new, accessory new to lawn to furniture murder. or yeah. <laughs> new, new patio furniture whatever it was. Yeah, so their their feelings are absolutely warranted, just like Walt's family's uh, feelings are warranted. Like, how would how would any of us, how would any of you out there listening, feel in these situations if it was your child who showed up high and then slept for twenty four hours or twelve hours, however long he was passed out, um, and or how would you feel if your your loved one had cancer and didn't tell anyone and was acting the way Walt is acting? You know, it it yeah. forces us to to hopefully consider that point of view um, absolutely and and how they feel so yeah you mentioned earlier that this is a an interesting Skylar episode so we haven't really spoken all that much about Skylar on the podcast yet so I was wondering if you wanted to to dive into to Skylar yeah and I I just think I think just to to start it off a little bit I think what really hit me um watching this was I mean, Anna Gunn really sells sells her concern for Walt, and 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 she shares his be- bewilderment with the situation, and she's just dealing with it with her in with it in her way, right? And um, I really like that. I mean, that that's that they don't they didn't really have to go to that length to 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 sell that, you know. And it it, it just is another one of those instances where you see, uh, you know how they how they really take take care to to sketch these characters out like she smiles at this one point like you know like oh that's good you know and 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 i just thought that that was such a great uh you know just contrast to the way that that walt is experiencing things agreed agreed i know some people were like annoyed about how she starts crying and that forces him into a position where he has to tell the the rest of the family that he has cancer um, really? I mean, that seems like a pretty human response to me. Whenever I agree. And like, also, she's pregnant, you know, so she's pregnant. Yeah. So she's got all the pregnancy hormones going on. And the story that that uh, Hank is telling is this sweet story about how they began dating. Right. So mm-hmm. she's at the way I, I watch it. Right. I think of it as like a, a tender moment where she's reflecting on her love for her husband and it becomes overwhelming for her. And she starts she starts crying. I think Skylar gets a lot of. Unjustified. Yeah, I mean, hate. what is the, is the is the is the implication of someone who d- didn't like it think that she she faked the crying and that it was a way to force his hand or what what's the criticism? I don't know because I I don't know if, if there's anyone out there listening who 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 felt this felt that way maybe let us know because I I don't know how to answer that. I mean that was, um, it felt organic to me like it it she just broke down because of the the pressure she's been under from having to keep this secret, right? 
That's the way it plays. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, and also, of course, it furthers the plot, right? Like, he has to tell the yeah. rest of the family. So it serves that purpose as well. In but... a way, she lets him off the hook, if you think about it, without any kind of emotion. Uh, he He's having trouble. I mean, he, he has to tell... He has to make this... He has to tell people, but he, he can't really do it. So... As you said, it it, it actually uh, pushes him along in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, but I, again, like thinking of you, you were talking about like um, her her reaction and her tenderness, and I I picked up on that too. Watching this, I I got the sense very much that she she cares about her husband, she cares about her family, and she wants him to fight this, and she wants him to survive, and she wants him wants him to to live. And, uh, and they're all kind of dealing with that dissonance too, right? So whenever you see her, she tries to come up with a, she wants to make sense of it and she wants to have a reason for why it's happening. Like we all do when we find ourselves with that kind of bad news. And so she, she's thinking, oh, it must've been your time at the lab whenever they didn't give you the right, it's somebody else's fault. This is, there's a reason and you know, this is, it's unfair and, and however you, you know, you work through that on a personal level. Yeah, I think that's part of like the grieving process too. So getting mm-hmm. like a, a terminal um, diagnosis for for many people and their families can can begin a grieving process. So there's like bargaining, there's denial, and things like that. So that's another way you might be able to read the characters and the way they they respond. Both Walt, who seems to be at, at many times in a state of denial, like he just doesn't want to deal with this, right? Like just uh, yeah. And I think that that tinnitus that we hear, right? So we heard it in the pilot with the mustard stain scene when the doctor is telling him that, you know, he's got cancer. And then you hear it again when they meet with Dr. Del Cavoli, the oncologist in this episode, and they start um, talking about the possible side effects. And that's when, again, he sort of tunes out and it's, uh, you know, it's an auditory, I guess, technique for, for storytelling, visual storytelling. TV shows to let us know that the character is um, withdrawing, sort of checking out, not mm. able to to process. So I think Walt is in, very much in a state of, of denial, not wanting to to deal with this. And um, as as uh, he told Crazy Eight in the previous episode, it's not a conversation he's even remotely ready to have. And I, I think yeah. that's still true. It's not something he wants to talk about until um Skylar's no. like we're gonna do treatment and he's like no we do need to talk about this actually you know is this is this the way to go yeah because he he I, I guess it, it, you know that's something that's easier for him to 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 think about like whether he'll have enough money or not you know it's more empirical it's not uh it doesn't it doesn't require him to to really face um what's happening to him at the end of his life and um, something that we talked about, Pete, in, um, in a YouTube video that we made for your channel uh, leading up to our podcast, so before the podcast actually came out, uh, we made this video called, like, you need to rewatch the, why you need to rewatch Breaking Bad, or why it's time mm-hmm. to rewatch Breaking Bad. Maybe um, we'll drop the link below in the, in the description uh, if you wanted to check that out. But one of the things we were talking about in terms of the legacy of the show is how it, it gives us this like unique snapshot of, of America at this point in time and um, what was going on in, in this country and, and how like maybe like, like Walt's reality of not be, not having the best health care, um, not making the most money, 
are also things that that lead him, of course, to make the decisions that he makes. And so just just to contextualize this a little bit more, this episode is set in October of 2008. And um, the Affordable Care Act, you know, didn't come out until March 2010. And I did a little research on this as well. I was curious. And I found this uh, document called the Albuquerque Public School Teacher Salary Schedule. And this is the data from 2007 to 2008. And I found that high school teachers... Um, and I looked specifically because they have like, you know, grades 9 through 12. I looked at 11th and 12th grade because you don't take chemistry until 11th grade. Uh, so I'm assuming he's teaching juniors and seniors, maybe some advanced sophomores. But uh, the upper um, classmen teachers, right, teachers who teach juniors and seniors, made somewhere between 30000 and $38,000 a year. And that range is based on both degree and experience. So mm-hmm. uh, the lower end is like a bachelor's degree, maybe with lower, well, with fewer years of experience and 38000 being like the max for someone with a PhD teaching high school. So that's pretty, pretty um, abysmal, right? That's pretty, yeah. pretty bad. So whenever they say $90,000 for treatment, you're talking about three years salary. Essentially, yeah. And I don't know how much he would have been drawing from his, you know, his job at the car wash, but it couldn't have been, you know, much more than that. And it's not even full time. Yeah. Yeah. And so something I was thinking about um, in terms of like these these pressures from like finances and uh, maybe some somewhat like an indictment of our healthcare system in the United States as well, right? Um, made me think about something that um, this uh, French sociologist Emile Durkheim said, who's uh, famous for um, his his ideas on deviancy and like like social labeling theory. But essentially, um, as a, a quick little like I don't know, in a nutshell, what what his his argument is is that all forms of of deviance are simply a challenge to normalize repressiveness of the state. So if there's, in other words, if there's something wrong with society, criminality is a response to that, right? And I think this was something that um, you explored a a little bit in a a bonus episode um, with with Jim and Aaron, right? Yeah, so the point that Aaron made was that... this might lose its relevancy. You could, you could see a an interpretation of this where Walt did this because he ha- he didn't have a different he had no other way to to pay for this treatment, right? That that there was a because the healthcare system doesn't it doesn't exist to help people who have you know who are dying of cancer necessarily. Um He's he's moved to crime, right? And uh, it was when I was talking to to Aaron, he brought up the point about we were talking about how, th- how will this show ever lose its re- relevancy? Because like you know, fifteen years on, this stuff is all pretty pretty relevant um, to how we are. The world hasn't changed all that much. Uh, the world that a guy like Walter White lives in, and he he, he brought up the idea that yeah, you know, maybe if we have. Um, universal health care and and things like that to where uh this wouldn't make sense to 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 the next generation of why he would he would go to these lengths yeah but that was a pretty interesting point you know that is a really great point but then at the same time like breaking bad has universal appeal and it is enjoyed and very popular in countries 
where they do have socialized healthcare or universal healthcare. So that must be so weird for people that don't live in the United States that live yeah. um, somewhere where they do have universal healthcare. If, if that is you, if, if anyone out there listening lives in a country where you have access to universal healthcare, did you find this really strange? Um, yeah. You know, that makes well, me think of something. From, from, my, from my own personal experience of like traveling to Europe when I was a younger man, like I, I couldn't believe like you know cuz i guess you just always have the idea that that for some reason america you know the standard of living is so high and everything is is great like i couldn't believe when i went through scandinavia and places like that and it just how much uh how 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 different um it was in places where they there's actually a social safety net and people get healthcare it's uh it's a huge difference you can yeah, feel it and also, you reminded me of this earlier, Pete. Um, probably this is a, a good place to mention this. Um, I had seen an interview with uh, Anna Gunn, who plays Skylar, and oh, yeah, yeah. she, yeah, she was uh, being interviewed um, by someone in Australia, and uh, while the show was still on, and they were shocked to find out that a teacher had to work a second job. Like that was like like such a foreign concept to them that that a teacher would have to you know, supplement their income by working at something like a car wash because, you know, in, in Australia and in other countries, you know, they, they pay their teachers a lot, a lot better than they do here. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a job that needs to be done. And there's, you, it, it's pretty obvious that if you want to have, <laughs> you want those people to, 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 do a good job with the kids, you know, like you, I mean, my, my, my dad is actually a high school teacher. So, you know, I, I dealt with this growing up. Um, it, it's, it is, it's, it's really kind of backwards the way that the, that works here. Yeah. And when you look at Breaking Bad through this lens um, of how it's like a, a critique of, of some of these these institutional sort of systemic problems and what it says about the American capitalist system, that's like a whole other conversation. Um, yeah, maybe there's like a maybe there's like a bonus episode in there in that conversation. Um, I don't mm. know. There's there's a lot we, we could say about that. And, and at that... the same time, I just want to say that it what, one of the things that works really well about this, though, is that. It doesn't. It, it's all there, it, 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 but it's it's treated as normal. It's not it's not elevated on some kind of um, political angle, right? It's yeah. just this is the way it is for this character in this place, and it's honest and 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 it's real. And that's one. Of, that's one of the things that I think that's one of the reasons as as why it's still relevant and it'll continue to be relevant is because it's very. Um, it's very true to life in that way, in that sense. Yeah, it is. I mean, it certainly is not like hitting us over the head with like, you know, like this, this sort of political commentary or anything like that. It's just showing, showing the world as it was. And um, other things that were happening at, at this unique time period in 2008 was like the, the housing crisis. So there was a lot yeah. of other things happening. So it makes sense to to watch what what they're going through as a family at this particular point in time. Um, it just adds context to it. And I, I don't think that the writers were intending to make any sort of in intentional commentary about this. That's just like a snapshot of America as it was. Yeah. And, it, and it's and I, I think it I think it's better for it. I agree. Yeah. And um, th their writing is is 
is frequently like that. They don't they don't ever smack us over the head with anything, right? I I love that's one of the things I love most about this this universe, both um both both series, right? Is how like they they don't really tell you what to think. They kind of show you what you need to know, and it's up to you to to piece things together. And um, it's it's so yeah, well but done. It, 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 but I mean, I just want to not that that I agree with that, but I think that, that it, it's worth mentioning that it's not open ended either. You know, it's not like they're it's not like it's it's completely open to interpretation. Like they have a they have a certain direction they're point pointing you in, but in and just in a really uh, just a well thought out way. There would be some exceptions, um, maybe with like Gus. And uh, the whole debate over, you know, his sexuality. I I think it's very clearly answered in Better Call Saul, but um, I know some Better yeah. Call Saul fans disagree. Well, yeah, I think there they wanted to... I think there they like the idea that it makes sense. Uh, or there, I think they make the idea that it works better if you don't know for sure. Like, if they, they preserve the mystery, but then they, they do kind of answer it, don't they? I think so. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, um, yeah. So, I mean, they're, they do have, they do have enduring mysteries for sure. They, and they understand the, the, the value of that. I'm just saying that like, this isn't some kind of, uh, David Lynch production or something like, oh, where, yeah, no. you, know, <laughs> you know, like where you're really wondering what's real and what's not real it, as far as, as plot, it, it's pretty straightforward, but they, you know, they, they, they don't, they don't over explain. They don't force any anything down your throat. They just, like you said, they they expect that you're paying attention, and and they um they're just deft at actually using that to their advantage. Yeah, and I, I guess what I what I was thinking of in particular when I was talking about that, how like things slowly reveal themselves to you, um, as you watch. But also more than that, I was I was thinking about char- the characters themselves. Like they don't explicitly always tell us what they're thinking. Um, they show us like little things, like the little Tampico sticker as like a reminder of yeah. like where his his head is at the time his his son that asks him what the hell is wrong with you. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I like that they they don't that there is there is that mystery there of like it's it's up to us to sort of uh, to figure out or, or to consider what are what are they thinking what are they feeling what is motivating them. Um, there are some things that are more explicitly obvious, but you know there's a reason why we're still talking about this show, and there's a reason why we're still debating whether was he always evil, is he made evil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. So because these things aren't necessarily concrete, they're not necessarily set in stone. There is still opportunity for for discussion and debate yeah you're listening to growth decay transformation and we'll be right back hey it's time for another season of why is mr feeney a car the premise is simple a gen xer and a millennial watch old 80s action tv to see what still works and what doesn't in previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeny. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? 
Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. Let's get cooking. We're back with more growth decay transformation. Okay, so before we move on to our favorite line and favorite shot, is there anything else you wanted to to point out, Pete? One thing, yeah, there's there's one thing I did want to get into a little bit, and you touched a little bit on on about the paranoia that that Jesse was experiencing, and I, I there's this it's it's a quick shot, it's a quick sequence in here that. Um, I always really liked and, and it, he just got the money from the bank and he's, he's driving down the road or he has the money uh, and he's going to the bank uh, is the way we, how it went. But um, this cop car comes up behind him and he sees the lights. And so he, he prepares himself to get, to get pulled over. And it's sort of like, Oh, you know, like it's, it's finally, uh, they finally caught up to me or something like that. And then it just blows right by. And I, I really, um, that's that's just i mean i've i guess we've all probably experienced that in in real life you know where we think we did something and we're gonna get pulled over and then the the car just goes by but um yeah i really love that scene i do too and i actually think like that the scenes with with walt and his encounters or his brief uh I guess, uh, encounters with, with law enforcement is like a interesting barometer of, of his character change, right? So we see in the pilot yeah. episode, he hears the sirens. Of course, it's just fire trucks, but he's ready to shoot at them. He's ready to kill himself. Um, of course, it's the fire trucks. He doesn't have to do that. And then in this episode, we see him pull over. He's nervous. He's paranoid, although he's more in control than obviously he was in the pilot episode. And then yeah, certainly and by the time... it just goes on from there. Yeah, and then the... <laughs> The, one of the other encounters I think that probably everyone who's seen the series remembers is um, after the, the plane crash in their backyard, he gets pulled over for having that cracked windshield, and he's quite aggressive with the, the officer who ends up pepper spraying mm-hmm. him, right? So it is um, yeah. it is an interesting way to sort of trace his, his evolution as a character. And just one other thing I wanted to mention, since you brought up this idea of paranoia. They're like little mile markers. Yeah, that's a, it's a great way of thinking of it. Um, and yeah. just one other thing I wanted to, to mention, since we're talking about paranoia. Um, so yeah, we talked about Jesse's paranoia. He hallucinates, um, you know, the biker is coming for him. And then uh, we see a little bit of paranoia here with Walt, but also when Jesse goes to the house and he's like, you know, are you wearing a wire? So like this, you can mm-hmm. see how both of them are, again, it's just reacting to to stress, to pressure, um, to the horror of what they just went through and how they, they're both reacting to it. So again, it's it's something comparable between them, but they, of course, react in, in different ways. Yeah. And there's also that connection of like, it's a, it's it's part of the way that they see themselves too. You know, that's one of the things about that getting pulled over scene why that works is because the police officer has, you know, if you're not actually speeding, then really nobody's thinking about what you're doing when you're driving down the road. But from your point of view, from your perspective, the way you see yourself, you think that everyone's always paying attention to you and that everything you're doing is the most important thing that's happening at that moment. So, yeah, I think that's just about it for the main part of what happens in this episode. Is there anything else that we want to touch on before we move into the next phase where we talk about our favorite line? 
I think we can go ahead and, and move on to that next phase. All righty then. What was your favorite line of Cancer Man? So I had a little bit of a, a hard time picking one for this uh, after I watched it the first time. And I, I what's, what stood out to me was the, the debrief line when Jesse and Walt have that exchange because it's reminiscent somewhat of that exchange that they have in the pilots when they're talking about the, the cow house. You know, so that, yeah. that, um, that little moment there, um, that always makes me it's laugh. It's also but... funny because of the way that his delivery is. And then, and then Cranston totally matches him by being so just just annoyed with the idea that he even brought yeah. it up. Yeah. You know? He's so condescending to the brief. Yeah. That's what you think we need to do? Yeah. The brief. You know, so but and I, and also just really quickly wanted to say that I love the outfit he's wearing there. That's one of the it's one of the better um Walter White outfits, I think, that really sum him up as a character. Is that the green and white one? Like the I don't even know. Checkers? It just it, it it feels like it's it it defies color in a way. Like it's just so <laughs> drab and and invisible that there's I don't even know. I think it's green and yeah, some some gray maybe or something. Yeah, he's in all greens and yellows um in this episode and and Skylar is always in blue too. But yeah, so but so I, as much as I love that line, um I rewatched it again and my fr- I realized what my my favorite line was within you know the first couple of minutes of the show and it comes in the teaser. It's when Hank is uh doing his DEA thing and he says Albuquerque uh just might have a new kingpin. It's got to be that yeah. one. Great line. What about- there's, there's some new players in town. Uh, one thing I wanted to say about this was um, when I was watching it this time, um, and, and we, we talked about this off screen, like the, the, the shot of Walt that's, that they superimpose with that, you know, and, and he's, kind of, he's kind of looking his softest that he does, and, he, and he's kind of goofily um, brushing his teeth. But I, I wondered, like, do people actually do that? Like, he has toothpaste all over his face. <laughs> like when you when you brush your teeth, the toothpaste stays inside your mouth, right? That's the way I do it. I mean, is this just a thing for TV to like, or are the people out there that that get so into the actual brushing that that it, it that the that the uh, toothpaste spills out and and covers part of their face while they're doing it? Well, I I I have been guilty of it spilling out of my face on occasion like but, that um, like, the, like what it looks like that i mean no not quite that bad you know okay. not, not quite that bad but it is it is funny that you bring up that that shot because that was a, one of the shots i was debating for favorite shot which we'll get to in a second but um yeah he's looking kind of soft we get him in his his tidy whities again and so like yeah. this i this image of him looking so pathetic you know brushing his teeth with it as you said pouring out of his mouth with the voiceover of albuquerque has a new kingpin is yeah. hilarious right yeah. But um, it also, I, again, it kind of makes him look like a little kid. So when we, in our first episode, Pete, when you um, were talking about what you think of when you think of tidy whities and you think of it as something like a kid wears. And that was, again, one of those like parallels I noticed between Walt and Jesse. I didn't mention it when we were talking about those parallels, but this idea of them looking like children because they're being treated like children. So mm-hmm. we have Jesse sitting cross-legged, playing with toys. We have Walt standing there in his underwear. <laughs> with toothpaste all over his face so to answer your question about toothpaste all over your face i think that's something maybe that three three to five year olds probably do right they're probably the ones yeah yeah so what about you what was what was your favorite line of the episode two quick points and then i'll tell you one there are way more tidy whitey shots than than i remembered um (laughs) 
Because I because like as we keep moving, as a new one comes up, then I remember another one that's going to come later. There's a lot of tidy. There's a lot of shots of of Walter and Tidy Whitey's here. Not yeah, just the, there's not that. Just the pilot. There's that one. Um, is he wearing his tidy whities when he's uh, when he's already in his new apartment and he's like passed out on the yes, floor? Yes, I and, think so. Yeah, yeah, and then he he sits up and bangs his head on the table when Skylar calls. <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. That's what that's what I'm starting to think about. Like that, I, maybe I blocked it out of my mind a little bit. And uh, the the second point was, yeah, the the child the way that they show them in as as children like that that's that's really subtle but it's 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 fantastic before you tell um, us your favorite before you tell us your favorite line i have a suggestion maybe we need to have a tidy whitey counter on our podcasts you know so to 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 figure out how many shots there are that would be a fun project as we go along yeah yeah that's i i I will i will support you in that if you want to if you want (laughs) to take it up But yeah, so the, so to to go back, like uh, the talking about them like children, and um, my my favorite line, it's kind of connected to that because um, I, I changed this a couple of times. the The first one that I thought about was uh, Walter Junior's big moment whenever he says, "Then why don't you just fucking die already?" Um, Good line. Just give up or whatever, and um, I, I changed it at the last minute because. This this one hit me, and I, I didn't I didn't necessarily remember it. Of course, I remember that Walt Junior moment. Um, this was this one snuck up on me a little bit when I was watching it this time, and it's kind of connected to that uh, idea of them being like children. And he said it's when he's talking to Jake in his bedroom, and he's asking him about this prize that he has, and he tells him you know sort of matter of factly what it was, and Jesse responds right on, little bro, making mad inroads with the local business community. <laughs> Now remember, not all learning comes from books or out and of books or something like that. he taps his temple. Yeah, um, it's such a good. I mean, as as much as you always, you have to talk about Brian Cranston and how 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 insanely good he is in all these episodes. Aaron Paul holds his own with some of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like uh, this is this is that is so it, that feels such like a real person, not not a made up character on TV to me for some reason. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, it's a ridiculous thing to say, but uh, it works so well. You know, he takes himself so seriously and um, trying to be the the big the big bro there and, and say something, you know, helpful. I yeah, absolutely he... love it. He delivers his lines perfectly. And I saw an interview with Vince Gilligan once where he was talking about Aaron Paul and his acting and how um, they, you know, they were trying to, as they were writing the scripts and the dialogue and, and everything, like that they couldn't really quite imagine how Aaron, how good Aaron was going to be when he would actually deliver the lines. And so how he kept just like elevating the dialogue. And so... Um, he he really does have... A, he's so talented, right? And like, of course, yeah, when you're up is- against... And this one's followed up with another one of my favorites, and that's when he tells him when he tells him about the piccolo, and he says, "Play some Jethro Tall." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, no worries, no worries. I already forgot. I get, ex- what I was I get excited. Say. <laughs> I get excited whenever I think about that Jethro Tall line delivery. It's that's it's real. One. What about your favorite shot? This one, it has to be Walt walking away from Ken's car as it blows up behind him. So we uh, get this new version of him that leaves destruction in his wake, of course, and this foreshadows many of these other explosive moments. Of course, um, the scene in Tuco's office comes to mind with the fulminated mercury. 
We'll yeah, and then like soon. when um, he uses the stuff from the Etch-a-Sketch to burn a hole through the, the place where they steal the methylamine and then of course the nursing home um, and the finale, right? So all these these explosions. And uh, it's also um, a really nice bookend to the opening yeah. shot of him in his tidy whities So we have him there again, kind of looking like a kid in his tidy whities brushing his teeth. And then at the end, you have this like total badass walking away with um, this explosion behind him. So that's, yeah. a, that's a great shot. What about you? What was your, your favorite shot of the episode? Uh, this is another one that I... That I um... I switched it up at the last minute. Um, I was going to initially use the one where we see Kenwin's, uh, when we see the the shot of Kenwin's from behind, where it focuses in on that that Bluetooth. Um, I, I I really love the way they handled that shot. And then I it, it, I was I was watching it again. You know, I went back and watched it another time, and I I I decided that. Walt's face when he's looking at the grill, uh, when the chicken's burning and of course Hank comes over and he says, Oh, you're burning the shit out of it or whatever. But yeah, that, the look on his face, it, it's a, it, you know, it's a, it's just a, it's just a tight shot. It, there's not much else going on. You see the light, you know, you see the, a little bit of a landscape in the background, a tree and the, and the sky, but, um, it, it it just it's just the perfect like you know you said that him walking away was a was a um you know like a bookend to that that goofy look it's, it's the same sort of thing here i mean this is a guy when you're looking at it you're sort of thinking like what is he what's going on with him you know and you i i at least for me i can say that i kind of forgot about the fact that he's he's dealing with just murdering uh, domingo um so you know, it's, it's a great shot. And it, and it's one of those things like you were just talking about what Vince was saying about, um, Aaron Paul's acting. And I, I had just read this article yesterday when I was doing some research for something else. And he was talking about why people rooted for, for Walt for so long, so much longer than they should have. And, and he said, you know, this guy, Brian Cranston, he just has this, this kind of face that when you look at him, you think he must be all right. You know, he, he, you just, you just want him to win something. I am paraphrasing, but yeah, that, that's what this, this scene, it, it, it's, it, uh, it just really jumped out at me in that way of like, I don't even know what's going on with him right there. Like I, you know, I just ad- admitted that I, I forgot that he had murdered him and that's why he looks like that, <laughs> but I'm still, I'm still completely captivated by it, you know? And yeah. I think it, that, it, it is a great shot, and um, something that that I thought of as I was rewatching is that it's very evocative of the of Emilio's remains, right? So like that, whatever parts of him fall through the 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 bathtub, um, yeah. you see like kind of like it looks almost like a beef roast or or something like that. So that's that's what it made me think of as he's watching it burn there, and yeah, Hank comes up and he's like, "Emerald's gonna need another pack." Bam! So this idea <laughs> of like burning flesh, that's quite literally what they what just happened, right? So we we saw that how this body was disincorporated using chemicals, right, with the hydrofluoric acid. So maybe mm-hmm. perhaps that's that's what it was reminding him of. I mean, that's enough to make you lose your appetite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, he has a lot on his mind. He he is dying. He does need to to tell his family. He has just um, you know, taken someone's life and uh what a great job of acting right there. 
doing is. not much of anything but just you know really really somehow managing to with the combination of the way it's shot this it's really tight and close and 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 what everything else is going on the sound the sound of the of the chicken um sizzling there like it it, it all it all works together to deliver that in a really great way if you enjoyed this episode be sure to follow our podcast and hit that bell for notifications please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts as a new podcast we greatly appreciate your support yeah that all really helps and if you want to support us and uh, get these episodes ad free you can join us on our patreon and that is patreon.com growth decay transformation and you can connect with us on twitter at breaking bad gdt and please do write to us and send us feedback at breaking bad gdt at gmail.com and you can find producer talitha's instagram at talitha underscore makes underscore things thanks for listening and join us next week when we'll be discussing gray matter <laughs>